Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Today, we are with Michael, our resident ephesiologist. I'm Andrew Johnson, associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas, and we've got a great guest with us today, Randy Newman. Now, Dr. Newman is the Senior Fellow for Evangelism and Apologetics at the C.S. Lewis Institute in Washington, D.C. He has also taught at numerous theological seminaries and colleges. And then after serving for over 30 years with Campus Crusade for Christ, also known as Crew, he established Connection Points, a ministry to help Christians engage people's hearts the way Jesus did. He's written a number of books and articles about evangelism and other ways our lives intertwine with God's creation. He's also the host of Questions That Matter, a podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute. He and his wife, Pam, live in Annandale, uh, Virginia and are grateful for their children and a growing number of grandchildren. Good work, kids. Uh, Randy also will be teaching an upcoming. What? What? Wait, wait wait a minute. I thought this was Randy Newman who wrote the song to Toy Story. Yeah. No. I I thought that's who we had on this podcast. Yeah. I, you know, I disappoint a lot of podcasts and a lot of audiences, so I'm not that guy. I think we need to back this up a minute here. What, what, what are we think, doing with this Randy Newman? Mm, well, yeah, this one thing is good. Unfortunately, our price point for that Randy Newman, when we said Randy Newman of Toy Story fame, we have zero dollars um, to offer you. Mm. Will you come and talk to us about Jesus? He declined. Mm. Um, but we said to this Randy Newman, would, can we sucker <laughs> you into coming on our podcast for zero dollars? Uh, and beyond that, can you also think about teaching a class for us for the Ephesiology Master Classes on the theology of evangelism? It's also going to pay about the same. <laughs> and and he said that sounds like a great idea. So oh, I thought this he, he started human, singing the song, didn't he? You've got a friend of me. <laughs> By the way, Andy, I I. I read an interview of that other Randy Newman. They asked him about his religious beliefs, and he said, I'm an atheist, except when I'm sick. (laughs) That is that is actually truer than true for most people. I think it is. Yeah. So, um, well, anyway, but we are glad that you are with us. Glad to be here. Very, very glad. Uh, So so that we don't confuse the Randy Newmans. Uh, Randy, can you actually make yourself sound like a human? Like, what are some of the most important things about you and your life? Oh, oh. In I'm under a minute. One coming. Wow. Um, most important things? Well, de- well, definitely family. And you mentioned our children, our grandchildren. We're, we're all getting together in a couple of weeks, Lord willing, um, like a little family reunion for the first time that we'll all be together in two and a half years because of uh-huh. pandemic. So uh, we're praying everybody can stay healthy and that'll go well. So that's, that's a big deal in my life. Um, um, I, I really do love music, even though I'm not that other Randy Newman, but I was a music major in my undergraduate days. And I, um, I love classical music. I love jazz. I love talking about it, thinking about it. Um, 
And um, I don't know what else to tell you. I, I, you know, I, <laughs> I recently taken up photography as kind of a fun hobby and that's not real interesting, but it's very interesting for me. I mean, so I, uh, anyway, I, yeah. I feel like, I feel like we're boring our audience terribly here. Wait, let me, let me go <laughs> back to the, the other Randy Newman. I get a lot of emails from people who think I am that guy. And, uh, oh, that's they amazing. Want me, they want me to try to get their music published. One, one guy invited me to come sing, You've got a friend and me at his daughter's wedding. I mean, you know, this is this has been kind of a fun little thing. So, um, um, but anyway, but I I think um, if there's some way you can pivot this to talk about evangelism and that <laughs> that uh, I I might have a few more things to say. Although I'm beginning I to have it, I have it here. It oh. is you and Michael actually have a friend in each other. You go way back. Yeah, Michael. Why do we have Randy on today? Well, I I married I married the Newman's babysitter. That was a good decision, I think. Yep. It, it was the best, <laughs> second best decision of my life. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about that before we got on about when when we first met Lori. I mean, seemingly a many many years ago, and she was a, a student at uh, Towson State University. That was the second year I was uh, uh, leading a campus ministry. And I, I use the word leading very loosely. The first year was just miserable. Everything failed. Nothing worked. It was so discouraging. And that summer, uh, after that first year, uh, I just did a, a lot of asking the Lord questions like, am I really supposed to be here? Do you really care about this campus? And and the next year is when Lori arrived and a whole, gr a whole group of students who that, that was like the beginning of just a great, great ministry that continued for, for many long after we left. So thinking back about those days is really very encouraging to me of, oh, there are times that seem like nothing's happening. And then God chooses sovereignly to work in really wonderful ways. So that's neat. That's neat. That's fun to hear. Well, we're grateful, Randy, that you've come on our podcast with us to talk about a book that you recently wrote, and it came out. Uh, I have it here in my hand, Mere Evangelism. And if you're interested about that little anecdote about Randy, uh, the Randy Newmans, he writes in Chapter 9 about his experience in fielding some of these emails, but also this experience that you had with quite an exchange with mm -hmm. someone who thought that you were that Randy Newman, yeah. but uh, but after you've connected with him and explained that you weren't, you continued a relationship with this yeah. gentleman. Tell, yeah. tell us a little bit about that and oh, why yeah. it's significant to the whole conversation about evangelism. Well, you know, I mean, I really, I, there was a period of time when I was getting a lot of these emails. And so I just thought, well, rather than just, you know, a quick thing of, hey, I'm sorry, the wrong Randy Newman. I put together a kind of a standard response. It wasn't that long, maybe just a paragraph, but I, I kept it so I could copy it and paste it and send it off quickly. And it was, um, I, I, you're probably looking for the other Randy Newman. I'm a different Randy Newman. And uh, I actually, um, I don't talk about Toy Story. I talk about another story about our story and how it connects with God's story. And if that's something you're interested, let me know. I'd love to continue. And the vast majority of people never write back. One or two have written back with, oh, uh, so sorry, and that's it. 
but I've had a couple of long interchanges with people. And this guy um, let me know very quickly. He was an atheist and he thought uh, uh, Christians were, you know, just people who didn't think very well. And he was a professor at a university and we just started having a back and forth that I was hope I, I think it was quite respectful and challenging. I would point him to other things, or whatever. And um, it was really, uh, you know, challenging in both directions. I thought it was good. And I was trying to do um, what I what I was encouraging people to do in, in my teaching and this book of looking to other things that point to God. So rather than the conversation starting about God, it's, well, let's talk about science or let's talk about music or let's talk about family or, and what are there, what are kind of ingredients are there that have God's fingerprint on them, so to speak. Mm. And, um, and so it was just very, very good for, for several weeks. And then one day, almost like seemingly out of nowhere, he just sends this real short kind of snarky email of, um, oh, well, here's something Christians need to own up with, uh, own up to. How, how come there's so much division among you Christians? And then he said, there's, there's, not, there's not division in my academic discipline. Um, I changed it. And uh, I said in the book, it was mathematics. It was another, you know, I wanted to try to protect his privacy. I did get his permission, by the way, to, to retell the story in the book. But he said, you know, there's not, there's not different kinds of, you know, different divisions of mathematics. There's not different divisions of geology. There's not di different divisions of, of, you know, history. And I wrote back to him and I said, are you saying that there aren't disagreements in those academic fields? There aren't completely different schools of thought about history or different schools about mathematics? I know a little bit about the academic world, and I know I, th I think there's a lot of disagreement in, in lots of ways. And then I said, because I felt like I had developed a good enough relationship with him that I could push back. And I said, is this a real question or are you just taking a pot shot at me? Mm. And um, and he wrote back and he said, I'm so very sorry. I've been enjoying our conversation and you're right. I shouldn't have said that. And you're right that within academic fields, yes, there's tremendous disagreement and, and division and, and, you know, interaction. Now, I think we tend to all agree on some of the core ingredients. And then I said, yes, and I think that's true in the Christian world, too. There's different denominations and different practices. But among Christians, there is an agreement of the core beliefs of what makes a person a Christian, so um, it was an illustration in the book of sometimes, and we need to be careful about it for sure. And by the way, I'm feeling a little weird, like this is where our podcast is starting. <laughs> mm, um, I don't know about editing. Maybe we could take the last few minutes and just put it later in the podcast. I don't know. Anyway, but um, sometimes we need to we need to follow the example of Jesus, and Jesus pushed back on people sometimes. Um, uh, the, the classic, the absolute classic was when the person, the man said to him, well, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus didn't answer the question right away. In fact, I don't think he ever did in that conversation. He pushed back and said, why do you call me good? So sometimes pushback is a, a way of engaging people in a helpful way of moving them um, so not not just giving an answer, but but engaging them in the answering process. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's great. You know, I, I loved your book, Randy. I'm so thankful that you sent it to us. Uh, when I saw it in the mail, I was so excited. I got it before Lori did. And so I've read it. Ah. Um, and and y- this is a play, of course, off of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. In fact, your subtitle here is 10 Insights from C.S. Lewis to Help You Share Your Faith. Now, we don't want you to divulge all 10 of these uh, insights from C.S. Lewis, because we want our listeners to go out and buy the book. It really is a wonderful book, uh, very accessible, as I've come to experience in what you've been writing and uh, appreciated how you uh, interacted with Lewis's insights. You You just made the comment here that I think is so interesting. And of course, it's something that we see in C.S. Lewis that he fully expected to see something of God in people just simply because they bear God's image. Um, and even in culture, he expected to see something of God. And so those are things that you had just said that you were looking for to be able to connect those conversations. Tell us a little bit more about that thought of yours and and uh, of Lewis's. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I've been I've been doing some teaching and writing about evangelism for a while, and whenever I teach classes or do things uh, seminars for churches, I bring up the topic of pre-evangelism, and uh, people always need some defining of that. So let me do that. So evangelism is kind of kind of a, a narrow category. It's the verbal proclaiming of the gospel message. It's stating. Uh, you know, in in some form or another, God sent his son to pay for sins so that sinners could repent and receive him and be forgiven and experience eternal life. So it's, it's a tight category. But there's a whole lot of other stuff we can say that paves the way for receptivity of that message. And that's a very vast category of pre evangelism, things we say, things we do, um, art we create, beauty that we appreciate. I mean, there's a million things about it. And I think it's one of the most important needs in our world today, especially in the West, in America, Western Europe. Um, and and C.S. Lewis modeled that in mere Christianity and in his fiction writing. And um, I, just, I just don't think we've appreciated or tried to follow his pattern. So, um, you know, I pitched this idea to a publisher and they really liked it. I I was kind of joking when I said, oh, yeah, we you know, if you like this idea, we could even call it <laughs> mere evangelism. And I, I thought, surely somebody has done this. And the guy I was talking to pulled out his computer, opened it up and started searching. Went, no, no, no. It's not on Amazon. Yeah. Who has this first? Yeah. And, and it was like, quick, we got to grab this. So, and then they did more research about it. I mean, there are some people who have used the term, but it's not like it's anyway. So, um, I don't know if I'm answering. What was your question again? Uh, say more about this. Um, <laughs> no, no. I actually wanted to jump in on this because yeah. I think this is so critical. And um, first of all, side note, uh, Michael, I almost wanted to laugh at you. You're like, well, it's so glad that we got this book. And I was like, I. I didn't get this book. Who's the <laughs> we here? But it was Lori. So Lori. you're off the hook there. And then I realized we're going to have start having guests on our podcast who have written books. And what this amounts to, it's actually going to cost our guests money 
to be on our podcast to send us advanced copies of books. So oh, this is this is great. Idea. I love this idea. Anyway, and one, one um, of us doesn't like this idea. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, but Randy, I love. So I haven't read your book. So actually, this is great what? because. It's coming out. I mean, it's forthcoming. It's well, did you send him a copy, Randy? I, I didn't. Um, no, no, I didn't. No, he didn't even know I was going to want one. No, um, no, sorry. But so I'm saying this in a this is definitely not spoiler territory because I haven't read it. In <laughs> that I love the idea of this pre-evangelism thing. When we, when I typically talk with people about evangelism, and I have interacted with lots of Christians, especially us who are lifers, you know, real churchy church people. Um, we unintentionally have this idea that evangelism is everything that talks to somebody about Jesus right up until the point that they become a Christian. And so if you think about this line, there's this continuum and everything left of the cross is evangelism. And then you insert this big cross image and then everything to the right of the cross is discipleship. And I think that's a really unhelpful way to think about it because I really like your definition of what evangelism is because what believer doesn't need to be reminded and told on the daily basis what Jesus is, who he is, and the value of the gospel to their daily life. So evangelism continues, uh, or rather even my need or exposure to evangelism continues long after. I have become a Christian, but discipleship doesn't just start at the cross. It must continue well ahead of the cross in those pre-evangelism phases where, where the impact of Jesus in our lives comes out through our conversations. The impact of Jesus in our lives comes out in the way that we model our life. And that person who doesn't yet know Jesus is going to be impacted by the goodness of Christ long before we say, okay, now here are the real important points of the gospel. Do you know them? Do you believe them? Um, it has to, it has to show up before that time in a healthy way. Yeah. 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 Well, um, here's, here's when I do seminars, uh, here's how I illustrate it. I think it's very similar to what you've just said. Um, and people have told me that this this is helpful. So you, you you just talked about a line, and I think the line is is a good image to use. But but I put it this way: of picture a line, and on the line is the alphabet moving from A to Z. Okay, and what I say is, for the sake of this illustration, that that line is a spectrum of people who have uh, who are not Christians, and Z is someone who's really, really close. They're, they're, they're right about to become a Christian. All you would need to say to that person is, gee, it, it sounds like you've been thinking about this a bunch, and it sounds like you're ready to become a Christian. Is that true? And they go, yes. And, and you lead them in a prayer, and they become a Christian. Yes. And then on the other end of the spectrum, A is the most hardened, angry atheist you can imagine. And um, I, I realize this is overly... Atheist? Is a, is for a, a is for yes, atheists. Okay. Well, that wasn't quite how. Okay, but we'll go with it. So, but so what I say is, there was a point in time, I think, when a whole lot of people in the West, in America, Western Europe, they already were pretty far on that A to Z spectrum, and evangelism then for those people was starting at letter T. 
T-U-V-W-X-Y-Z. You, you could say to someone, would you like to know God personally? And, and the God that they started thinking about was the God you were talking about. They, were, they weren't a Christian, but they had lived in a Christian culture so much that, yeah, it was the God of the Bible that came to their mind. And they and you said to them, would you like to know God personally? And they go, I, I, I didn't know you could know God personally. How do you do that? Well, T-U-V-W-X-Y-Z. You know, you say some things about God, about people, about sin, about Jesus. Would you like to receive Jesus? Yes. But for a whole host of reasons, our culture and many other cultures have shifted so far back in the other direction that there's just a whole lot of people at letter D. And you say to them, would you like to know God personally? And if if they are willing to have a conversation with you, which is not always the case, they might say, well, which God are you talking about? And, and how do you know this stuff? And why should I listen to you? And are you one of those wacko, narrow-minded bigots? I, I just don't know. And so there's just a whole lot of letter D kinds of conversations we need to become really good at and mm-hmm. see people move along D, E, F, G, et cetera. And that's mm-hmm. what I think C.S. Lewis did so well. He he began his radio broadcasts, those ones that were recorded by the BBC, which eventually became the book, Mere Christianity. He started with, um, we've all heard people quarreling and they're appealing to some kind of sense of right or wrong. Hey, that's my seat. You can't sit there. Or, hey, I gave you a piece of my orange. Why don't you give me something of yours? And there's an appeal to some kind of right or wrong. And he didn't even mention that this was coming from God until weeks later. Um, in fact, there's a, there's a point after the fourth week, at the end of his fourth broadcast, and in the original plan, there were only going to be five. So this is <laughs> the fourth one. He said something like, um, don't think I'm moving faster than I am. I'm still not within 100 miles of the God of Christian theology. He spent four weeks of, well, is there is there something inside of us that's crying out for something more that makes us think that there's some kind of standard and, and that we all don't live up to it? Um, so th- those are the conversations we need to become really, really good at. And uh, that's what I was trying to say in the book. Well, I think you did a great job in saying that, and it came out beautifully, Randy. And I don't say that just because I know you and and think highly of you, but genuinely, I think that you have uh, related something to us that is that has been missing in our evangelistic activities, in particularly in the West, as you say, and it's very helpful. Let me ask you this question. I recently was interacting with some folks on social media to the question about marketing and how can churches attract more people? And it was such a fascinating thread. I, I uh, clipped a, a picture of one of the comments and he said this, Jesus was able to speak to the crowd because they had heard he was coming to town. Myself and my team, this, this is a church planter, can only do so much on our own. It's proven that most unchurched people will go to an event before they ever step foot into a church service. Our goal is all about reaching the lost, building relationships, and letting God restore the brokenness in our lives. And if it takes us giving something away or offering a free event for them to see Christ in us, we'll take the marketing. 
we've also learned what works for you might not work for us. How do you, as you look at the evangelism landscape of the United States and and see how so many uh, uh, ways in which we've been doing evangelism has relied heavily on how we market mm-hmm. to a different people to attract them. How do you react? What, what do you see as perhaps some of the positive to that, but perhaps some of the challenges we might face? Mm. Oh, my goodness. You know, marketing covers a, a pretty wide range of things. And so to, to try to talk about should churches do marketing, I, I mean, that that I, I just think it's too broad. I don't know. I'm... I, I think there are certain kinds of marketing that, sure, I think it would be good to do, letting people know who you are and and what your church is about. And I mean, I mean, on some level, if you're going to put a, a website on the on the web, you're doing marketing. So, I mean, it's a kind of marketing. And I think that that's very important. I think that's a good thing to do. I mean, that's just I mean, in a sense, a sign outside your building is a kind of marketing. So, so I think I think we we are all doing marketing, whether we realize it or not. Uh, and so, I think it's to be very, very intentional. Um, but, but I think you know, for some people, it's like, well, well, should we do marketing or shouldn't we? And if the answer is yes, for some people, then it becomes not very critically analyzed. And it's like, well, marketers tell us this works, we should do it. Marketers tell us this is what people pay attention to, therefore we should do it. And uh, I, I just, uh, I, don't, I don't think secular businesses do that. I think secular businesses say, yeah, we're going to do marketing, but we want our marketing to represent who we are. And so we're not going to do something that looks and comes across as completely different for what our from what our product is. Anyway, mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. I I I feel a little bit out of my depth on this one. I think, you know, I, I guess maybe it, again, I'm thinking in a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum is sure we can do marketing. Let's just find out from the marketers what's the best way to do it. And let's just do what they tell us, which I think is foolish. Um, on the other hand, would be this: uh, we don't do any marketing. We just trust the Holy Spirit. Well, people. Um, uh, the very fact that C.S. Lewis went on to the BBC radio, not on a Sunday morning for a worship service, but on a whatever it was, Thursday night at 7.45 p.m., meant we're trying to go out where people are. There, there's this wonderful story of one of the radio broadcasts coming on, and uh, George Sayer, a student of C.S. Lewis's, was, was in a pub, and the bartender turned the volume of the radio up and yelled out to everybody for everybody to be quiet. You listen to this bloke. He's got some good things to say. And uh, Sayer reports that for 15 minutes, that pub was silent, just listening to this British professor on the radio. I mean, so so there's an element of the supernatural of God choosing to work that we need to beg and ask God and pray. Um, but then we also need to be wise in the way we act toward outsiders. I have. I, I hope I'm not just skirting your question. I think it's a. I think no. I think you're hitting thing. it. Hitting, you're hitting it dead on. I mean, this is something we've talked about on this podcast a few times. Uh, it's the it's the adage, uh, what you win them with, is what you win them to. Mm-hmm. And so, 
um, if the way that you are, I, I, when I say winning, obviously that's kind of a bit of attention, right? The way you get everybody's attention um, is a big light show and a huge Sunday morning service with bombast and noise and, and wonder, <laughs> then that is the type of faith that they are going to expect week after week. And thus, when the bombast comes back and the noise levels are reduced and the show has taken a different turn, well, you had my attention, but now you no longer have my attention. I want to go where somebody has my attention that's going to continue to wow me and win me over. Yeah. And so um, I, I certainly appreciate this and your idea about we have to understand our context, right? Like putting up a website is is marketing yes but the reason we would do it is because what do we all do when we want to go find a new restaurant what do we do when we want to go and try out a new place or or visit a new city we go to the web what are other people saying what where what information can i find about it like that's already in our habits so let's just meet people in their habits i certainly call them to something new and wonderful but um we can't expect people to entirely meet us outside of their habits, or rather we can't sit outside of their habits and then keep calling after them and saying, I can't believe these people don't want Jesus. What's wrong with them? But we're not at all trying to move towards people like ourselves where we are. It just makes sense that there has to be a level of reaching people. But I really appreciate that thought of, just because a marketing company says this is the best way to get attention doesn't mean that's really the best way for us as the church going about yeah. it. That yeah, way. Andrew, I, I appreciate that because I think, I mean, this is at least what strikes me, Randy, in regards to Lewis was that, yeah, that there was an attractiveness uh, in the marketing, perhaps. I'm sure he wasn't thinking deliberately of that at the time, but uh, the fact that he was in the public square it was attracting attention and it was being used to attract it, uh, attention, but it was attention with a purpose, ultimately with a goal of, of communicating who Christ is. And sometimes I wonder if in our contemporary marketing, if, if that might sometimes become an excuse for us to not engage in relationships with people and eventually not to uh, practice evangelism, not to do evangelism in our communities. Ooh, I have a different after spin, all, spin So, it. Michael, what you're saying, the different spin on the question is, what if we are distracting ourselves by thinking we are doing evangelism, but all we are doing is marketing, right? That mm. with the best intent possible, we are approaching this saying, if we do this, people will come to know Jesus, but all we're doing is spinning our wheels towards something that is not going to lead people to Jesus, but in fact is just helping us move a machine along, but there's no life in it. Yeah. 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 And I guess what we're getting at here, Randy, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is that there's, there's really a personal component, isn't there, to evangelism? I mean, we can't skirt that. Uh, there is a relationship that occurs between two people or or, or a group of people that uh, that is inherent in the way in which we do evangelism, isn't it? Or am I missing? No, no, something? no. I think you're exactly right. And so that that's why I was I was trying to draw a, a pretty clear line 
of the difference between pre-evangelism and evangelism, because I, I really do mean it. We, we need to protect the distinction. Otherwise, we'll never get around to evangelism because it is, it's uncomfortable. It's difficult. It is intensely interpersonal. I mean, my goodness, it's, it's, it's the most important topic and the most intimate t- aspect of who we are. So, um, so evangelism is that unique presentation of the gospel message, um, sharing our testimony, talking about the beauty of a beautiful sunset, um, talking about why music moves us so much or all these things. They're really, really good things to do in that category of pre-evangelism. And I guess we'd even put marketing and how we put things on a website or whatever. That's also part of pre-evangelism. But we do need to be very careful of blurring that line and saying, we put a really nice picture on our website and that's evangelism. No, no, it isn't. It it was a good thing to do. Um, I, I've just heard too many people you know, oh, that's evangelism, or or more often would say is, you know, well, that's the gospel. Um, we took our youth to an underprivileged area of town, and uh, we helped out a soup kitchen by giving out meals, and that's the gospel. And I wanted to say, no, I don't, I don't think it is the gospel. I think it flows out of the gospel. I think it's loving our neighbor. I think it's very, very good to do. It might lead to a presentation of the gospel. There's all sorts of great things about it. But let's not blur the line and say, that's the gospel, because no, that that was feeding hungry people, which, again, it's a very, very good and important thing to do. Does the Lord want us to do it? Yes, more more than we are are doing it. So so I I just think it's we need to be careful about those lines. Um, And if if I can point it back to Lewis, I, I do find it interesting. I mean, he was an Oxford professor. He wrote academic thick monster books about old English language and words. And he could have just stayed in that academic closet, so to speak. Um, and, and he did do great work in that area and teaching classes and writing journal articles and all that kind of stuff. But he also chose to venture out and write literature for children or write science fiction books or speak at military bases for to, to Air Force uh, uh, soldiers um, and go on the BBC radio and put together 15-minute broadcasts that he worked diligently, also with a team of editors, because he wanted to reach the people in the pubs and the people who never go to church. So he wasn't going to use big, fancy language. Uh, Lewis could use big fancy language and there's times when you're reading him and you have to go, wait a minute, hold it. I, I need a really good dictionary for that word. Uh, <laughs> he uses this one word in this one sort of famous quote, he uses the word coruscations. And every time I come upon the word, I have to go, wait a minute, hold it. Wait a second. Just a second. Okay. All right. Flash of light. Okay, good. Yeah. But so, um, so he chose to carefully craft his message for a much broader audience. And by the way, his academic colleagues gave him a real hard time about that. You know, like, what are you, what are you wasting your time writing silly children's books? You should be doing academic work. And he was passed over for promotion. I mean, he really suffered career-wise because of his strong urge and calling to do evangelism to a much wider audience. Mm, wow. 
Well, well, this is, again, I keep saying this, this is a great book. We want to encourage our listeners to to uh, search for Mere Evangelism, and it's available at Amazon. We can go to uh, Connection Points, Randy's uh, ministry website, to also find access to uh, ways in which you can purchase that book. Randy, one of the things that I appreciate so much about you, and you you mentioned this in several of your books, or at least a couple of your books, um, you teach evangelism. You've taught it for years. You've written on it. Um, as I recall, a part of your dissertation was focusing on this as well. But you are not a gifted evangelist. <laughs> Reconcile those things for us. You, you didn't have to say it with so much force. Like you were about to say, just wow. like uh, wow. we may be, we may be Protestants, but uh, welcome to the confessional booth. We need you to come and kind of bring this to the Lord in front of us. So thank you, thank you for doing it in such a public way. <laughs> well, um, uh, well, like you've said, I was with Campus Crusade for many, many years, and the speakers that we always had at conferences to encourage us to do evangelism always talked about how easy and natural it was. Uh, I, I learned a ton from Bill Bright, who started the organization, but he he was called by God to be an evangelist. And so for him, he, you know, he he couldn't not evangelize. It was just, it, it, it was like not breathing. And I always used to sit and listen to it and think, well, what's wrong with me? Because I don't feel that way. You know, I mean, when I get on airplanes, I I don't talk to the people next to me. I I I, I put on headphones, noise canceling headphones. And and but you know, the the stories I heard, they 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 always talk to people on the airplane. And by the way. They always had successful conversations on those flights. It was all people always became a Christian every time they talked to them. And I, I you know, it didn't happen to me. I, I just wondered, uh, is this a select story? Anyway, I shouldn't go there. Sorry. Um, but but because so, no, we're all nodding in agreement, right? Like all yeah. of us who have felt shamed when we walk onto an airplane and we choose to read a book or watch a movie or listen yeah. to a podcast. You just gave all of us a little bit more freedom. We're, we've well, nodded silently. So thank you. Well, well, good, good. Well, um, uh, so there is a unique calling. By the way, I, I don't think it's technically it's not a spiritual gift of evangelism. It's a calling in Ephesians four. Um, you know, there are some who are um, uh, in in the office of apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and their work is for the equipping of the saints. So, in that kind of way, I think I am called by God to equip. Um, God's people for the task of evangelism, but I'm not one of, and, and, you know, different, different people exercise those callings in different ways. I'm just not one of those extroverted, bold, let's go out and talk to everybody. Um, But so first is I found, um, well, God uses non-evangelists so very, very often because they're not evangelists. I mean, yeah, I mean, again, I'm sorry to keep coming back to C.S. Lewis, he wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a, a, a trained theologian. I think that was a big part of the appeal, why people kept listening to him, mm-hmm. um, because he, he's he's a professor. He studies literature. All right, that's one thing. The, the, the other thing is, uh, for me, for a long time, I just thought, well, someday this is going to become easy. Someday I'm going to be more comfortable. Someday I'm going to experience a level of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and it's just going to flow out of me. And it just didn't happen for a very long time. 
And 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 it was when we were doing ministry at Towson State, when when your wife Lori was a student there. It it occurred to me this thought of, all right, I'm never going to sound like Bill Bright, and I'm never going to feel comfortable with this, and I'm always going to be kind of nervous. Can God use me anyway? Can this mm. kind of evangelism still be fruitful? A timid, shy, reluctant scared stiff evangelism can god still use that and and for me it was like this this kind of like dramatic transformation of well of course he can because because the power is in the truthfulness of the message and the work of the holy spirit not the smoothness of the person proclaiming the message and then i looked a little bit more carefully at passages like 1 corinthians 2 Paul saying, when I was with you, I was with you with much fear and trembling. I thought, oh, all right. So Paul is shaking in his boots. Okay. All right. So I can, I can do this. And, and for me, that has just been liberating of, and by the way, it's still not comfortable. It isn't. When I'm in a conversation and I see it kind of steering this way, I'm like, oh no, it's, I think this was looking like an evangelistic opportunity. Lord help me. I don't feel good. Um, uh, I, I love uh, Rico Tice wrote a book called Honest Evangelism, and he looked at the honesty going in, in both directions of we need to be honest with the people we're talking to. We also need to be honest with ourselves. But he talks about crossing the pain line of starting or continuing an evangelistic conversation. And that is so helpful for me. Like, OK, this is, gonna, this, this is not going to be fun. I would much rather talk about baseball or the weather or Pretty much anything. <laughs> so again, I hope your listeners didn't just go click. I'm out of here. But I, uh, I, I find that helpful. Of um, here's how I, I sometimes say it: my confidence is not in my confidence. Mm. My confidence mm. is in the power of God working through the truthfulness of His message, and He uses timid, shy, shaking, nervous people in wonderful ways. Yeah, well, I appreciate that, Randy. And that's so encouraging for many of us to hear that, you know, we don't all have the gift to be an evangelist. Uh, we uh, struggle often with that. And your example is a wonderful one for us to look at and imitate. And I appreciate your faithfulness in doing the things that sometimes are challenging and hard to do. Yeah, and I appreciate it too, because uh, the way that you're stating it too, Randy, it almost sounds Pauline in that um, if you were only always a gifted expositor, if you were only always that winsome extroverted thing, then that meant that would mean only those type of people could tell mm -hmm. others about Jesus. And then it makes it about us. Who are those weird extroverted types? Um, but instead it keeps it in the power of God. The power of the good news is the power of God working through the power of the Holy Spirit. He gets the glory. He gets it all. We just get to play a part. So it, it's not on us. And and that's not to take away from the fact right. that um, it, for rare individuals, God chooses to say, I'm going to use that guy in absolutely amazing ways. And so I don't want to take anything away from Billy Graham because because God did use Billy Graham in just this, this astonishing, unique, unprecedented way. 
Um, and, you know, Billy Graham's people would come to town and say, we're going to do something at this stadium and the stadiums would be filled. That was just amazing. And 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 so there are those unique people that God has chosen to say, all right, I, I'm going to I'm going to make that person uh, an evangelist to millions. I think that's what he did with Bill Bright. Um, and, and there are people like that. But but it's easy for then us to think, oh, that's that's evangelism. Well, it is one expression of evangelism, but the person talking to a coworker uh, on a Monday morning after the other the coworker had a really really difficult weekend and found out some bad news about a medical test or something, and the person saying, "I'm so very sorry to hear that. I'm 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 going to pray for you." And uh, I, I wonder if this is making you think about spiritual stuff. If, you've, if you'd ever want to talk about that, I, I'd, I'd be glad to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Now, that's very ordinary, not flashy, not famous. Um, and, and, you know, that, that Christian may have those kinds of conversations with five or six people their whole entire life. But but God uses that in in absolutely astonishing, profound ways. So we just we just need to kind of remember who who's in charge of this kingdom that is expanding, um, and ask God to show us what how do I fit in? What what is it you've called and made me to be and to do? Mm-hmm. Well, and I like it too. Even as you're using that, going back to your alphabetical analogy. Uh, one of the things that we say at our church is we desire to have faithfulness over flashiness. So Mm. faith over flash uh, is something that we want to kind of actually live out through our church and how we do it, but we desire that faithfulness. And so if we are the person that has that mundane office conversation, I'm praying for you. If you want to ever talk about either what you're going through or even kind of the spiritual things, since I just said, I'm going to pray for you, I would love to have that. That might not be the thing that gets them to Z, but that might be that R level conversation that moves someone towards S. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's that it's that playing your part to help continue to move people towards that wonderful place of at least asking the questions. And it might not be you that gets to have that joyous conversation to tell them finally about Jesus, but God uses it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he uses your faithfulness and your presence in that to help move them along that alphabet, if you will. Mm. But can I, I have to throw in one more story because um, I, I really hope I, one of the most important things we have to remember is um, evangelism is this amazing intersection of, of what people do and what God does. And, and the side of the equation, if you will, of what people do. Well, it's very important for us to think carefully about it. You know, we want to we want to explain things well. We want to be able to answer questions well. We want to be good listeners, and and so there's a, a human component that we want to be the very very best that we can be. But we also need to remember this is a supernatural process, and God has to raise the dead, open blind eyes, and so we step into it and. Lord, give me wisdom about what to say and how to say it and what illustrations to use and all of that human stuff. But Lord, please, would you do what only you can do? And so it, we look at C.S. Lewis making these radio broadcasts once a week, 15 minutes, carefully crafted messages, brilliantly worded. Okay, great. But there was a supernatural component of God working through those radio broadcasts because 
Um, I, I just I think this is hysterical. It, it, I think he came on at 745 in the evening. Well, from seven to seven thirty was this variety show on BBC of very um, non-talented people doing stuff that people just thought was like, oh, this is I can't believe people do this. You know, it's like embarrassing. And then. For the 15 minutes before Lewis started these brilliant life world changing broadcasts, there was the news in London through the BBC, the news in Norwegian, not in English, not in Welsh, Norwegian, because the Nazis had invaded Norway and had shut down the radio airwaves. And the BBC said, we want to get the news there. But so it was a 15 minute broadcast in a language that millions of people in England didn't understand. Mm -hmm. Why in the world would they tune in their radio and listen for more than a second before it was like, what is this? We're like, let's turn the dial. But but people listened. They stayed. And then when when Lewis began his broadcasting that at, at the at the height, it was over a million listeners. So it, it's as if God sovereignly said, here, watch this. First, we'll set it up with talent that's not talent. Then for the lead-in, we'll, we'll, we'll broadcast for 15 minutes in a language nobody understands. And then let's get that Oxford Don in here and have him work. I, I don't know. I find that delightfully encouraging of, okay, God, God can use anything. Wow. Well, that's neat. What a great story. We're we're here talking with Dr. Randy Newman about his book, Mere Evangelism, 10 Insights from C.S. Lewis to Help You Share Your Faith. Randy, thanks for being with us. I'm very, very glad for the opportunity. Thanks so much. Uh, Randy, I hope that we have done you and uh, your, your book uh, justice. <laughs> uh, so, I hope that this has been a wonderful experience for you, the listener. I know that Michael and I have been overjoyed, so thank you very much, Randy. Um, if we did a good job and we advertised you well and we marketed your book appropriately, Randy, can you tell all of our listeners where they can connect with you outside this podcast uh, to continue engaging with the things that God's doing through you? Oh, thanks so much. Um, well, uh, uh, I think Michael mentioned I do have a website, connectionpoints.us, but maybe a better spot is the cslewisinstitute.org. I know that's a mouthful. Uh, we've just got a whole lot of resources and I can be reached through there, cslewisinstitute.org. That's uh, where I hang my hat these days. Okay. Well, we've already uh, plugged the book. You can go find it on Amazon. Randy, thank you so much for being with us. And uh Thank you, the listener, for joining us today. Uh, if you want to continue to lean into what God is doing through Ephesiology, uh, visit us online at Ephesiology.com. Or if you are so inclined, uh, why don't you go over to our Ephesiology Masterclasses section and take one of our masterclasses uh, to continue to prepare you for what God is going to do in and through you uh, to bring glory to His name. So for Michael... Matt, where'er he be, uh, Randy and myself, thanks for doing theology and community with us today on the Ephesiology Podcast. <laughs>